Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And I don't know shit about crime. Oh and Kelly does. And I'm just here to tell him stories and get his genuine reactions. It's what we do. They're usually pretty good. All right. So today's case was recommended by a listener. Her name is Natasha. So thank you, Natasha, for your recommendation. Appreciate you, Natasha. I'm currently working on a website, and hopefully I can get it up and running, and we can like get recommendations through that. And then I can also put all of my sources and all my episode notes, like as far as like pictures and sources and stuff go on the website. That's the goal anyway. So we'll see how it pans out. That's right. But anyway, today we are talking about Brittany Drexel. So, Brittany Drexel was born on October 7th of 1991 in Rochester, New York. Her biological father was Turkish. I believe his name is John. So, Don, her mom, described Brittany as having a very distinctive... Wait, so mom, Don, dad's John. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Don described Brittany as having like a very distinctive look, like a very European-looking look, but shortly after Brittany was born, Don married Chad Drexel, and he adopted Brittany so that she could have his last name because her biological father wasn't really in the picture until she became a teenager. So she was a soccer player, and although she was very small at only like a little over five foot and only 103 pounds, she was wicked fast with the ball. And she was full of life, very happy, outgoing kid growing up, um, and yeah, she was really known for being like super into fashion. She always had her hair and makeup done and she was always very cute and spunky and being this soccer player, she was really known as being like a bullet on the field. Every interview I've seen of people describing her, they always go back to the fact that she was a super good fast soccer player. So, Speed Demon. Yeah, Speed Demon. So, in 2008, Chad and Don Drexel separated. And that seemed to ignite some depression within Brittany. She had actually overdosed twice on her mom's pain medications and had to have her stomach pumped. And um, that is actually corroborated by her dad, Chad. Um, I watched an interview. I listened to another podcast. I'm not going to name it, but another podcast that followed this or covered this same story um, You know, brought that up but said they couldn't corroborate it, so they didn't want to just say it. And, you know, they... they basically chastise anyone for putting that part in their story. But it actually has been corroborated by her stepfather, Chad, who was like a dad to her. And I think the reason it's important to add is because eventually in this story, Brittany disappears, and it's been questioned whether she ran away or, um, you know, had struggles with substance abuse or whatever. So I do think it's an integral part to the story because her emotional state was obviously at risk around this time. So I just think it's important worth noting. It's not to judge her. It's just important to note it, right? Mm -hmm. So 
Brittany really aspired to either be a nurse or a cosmetologist, but after her parents split, her grades really started to suffer. And then in April of 2009, Brittany was a junior at Gates. Oh, man. Is it Chile or Chile? I'm not sure. Chile. Anyway. C-H-I-L-E? No. C-H-I-L-I. That's Chile. I know. That's what I would think. But somebody, I don't know. Somebody, I saw this other comment on, on this particular word, and someone's like, oh, you pronounced it correctly. And I'm like, is it not j- just chili? Like, I guess I don't know. Just say someone, chili. Yeah, someone will tell me if I'm wrong. Anyway, Gates Chili High School in Rochester. She asked her mom if she could go on a trip to Myrtle Beach for spring break. It was a tradition within her high school for a lot of the kids to go down to Myrtle Beach. And this time, about 40 to 50 kids from her school were planning on going. But Dawn said no because she didn't know the friends that she planned on going with, and there were no no adults going to chaperone. So Brittany had a really hard time accepting this answer, though, so they fought about it for days. And every single day she'd ask her mom if she could go. Dawn would say, no, like, you're not going. Your grades haven't been good. I don't know the people going. I don't know of any adults that are going. Like, you're not freaking going. That's like... Just absolutely not something I'm going to let my 17-year-old daughter do. You know, she's just trying to be a good mom. Mm -hmm. Finally, on April 22nd, Brittany asked her mom if she could go stay at a friend's house for a couple days. And Dawn was like, sure, just let me talk to the parents and we'll get it worked out. And sure, I'll let you do that. So she talks to her friend's mom and Brittany's boyfriend, John Greco, picks them up, takes her to her friend's house. And that's the last Dawn knew. So her mom allowed her to go, but had no idea that Brittany was actually going to Myrtle Beach with her friends, Alana Lippa and Jennifer Auberer and their boyfriends. And it was actually either Alana or Jen that pretended to be the friend's mom. No way. Oh, that's like that TikTok where that kid gets, he gets on the phone with his mom and he tells her he's in Hawaii. Have you seen that TikTok? No. This kid is like these, they're probably 15, they're probably 16, 17 year old kids. Mm-hmm. And he got, he told he couldn't go to Hawaii, calls his mom who's in the States mm-hmm. and says, mom, I'm in Hawaii. And she's like, real funny. I don't know his name, Josh or something. She's like, real funny, Josh, come home now. You're in trouble. And he's like, no mom, seriously, I'm in Hawaii. Check my location. Oh my God. It's a really good TikTok. Anyways. I ha- I've lied about where I was going, and I totally got busted. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. When I went to Orlando's, my mm-hmm. mom pulled up in her expedition with her pug in her freaking lap saying, Kelly doll, get your ass out in the bargain lot. And the whole line of people were just staring at me. I felt like such a loser. And I was a freshman in high school. I was somewhere I was not cool supposed can to be. be. Yeah. And there was another time I snuck out. That's a different podcast. Okay, so anyway. That's a different school. podcast. We haven't, we haven't actually started that podcast yet. Yeah. That's shit we lied about when we were kids. Oh, man. But you know what? When our kids try to pull a fast one on us... Ain't gonna do it. It ain't happening. Now there's GPS monitoring on phones. I'm gonna, like, chip them. Like, we have chips in our dogs. So Brittany took off to Florida. Or to, to Myrtle Beach. <laughs> Don't you dare try to redirect me on my podcast. That is something I do to you. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so she tells her boyfriend, John Greco, what her true plans were. And he was actually really supportive, thought it would be good for her to go and get out of Rochester for a few days and just kind of relax because she was always... John and um, Brittany had a very off-and-on tumultuous tumultuous relationship, 
very hot and cold. And he said that like even the littlest things would just set her off. And so he thought it was a good idea for her to go to Myrtle Beach and try to just like blow off some steam. Myrtle Beach is California, right? No, Myrtle Beach is North Carolina. And it's about a 14 14 to 15 hour drive from Rochester, New York. So it's not like they're just. You know, I, I didn't. Oh my gosh! I don't put these pieces together. Did you t- say Rochester, New York? I sure earlier? did. I thought you said Rochester, Minnesota. Is I've been thinking Rochester, Rochester Minnesota, Minnesota the whole time. Yeah. Well, no, I'm talking about Rochester, New York. Okay, got it. Um. Anyway, yeah, 14 to 15 hour drive. So it's not even like we're just going on a little trip and it's not far. You're 14 to 15 hours away. Mm-hmm. That's a long way. So anyway. April 22nd, 6.30 p.m., Brittany leaves Rochester with her friends, and she's texting with her boyfriend, John, the entire time. They are very communicative with each other. They text each other, like, every 10 to 15 minutes. They're in constant contact, whether she's gone or not. That's just how their relationship has been. So she tells him that she's staying at a hotel called Bar Harbor Hotel on the beach. So... The first night was spent at some of the local hotspots where they allowed kids as young as 17 to enter. And typically, they turned a blind eye to the drinking age requirements. So um, Brittany told her boyfriend she was having a great time. The weather was wonderful. Meanwhile, she's texting her mom saying that she's just watching movies with her friends, just hanging out. The next day, Brittany's mood began to change as she texted John and confessed that she was beginning to feel a bit alienated by her friend group. She said that they were all doing drugs. She was trying to avoid that because she didn't want to get involved in that. So she starts going out by herself, walking to a restaurant (coughs) alone, walking on the beach alone and the strip alone, which is not ideal when you're only 17 and you're 103 pounds. 103 pounds, and you're pretty attractive. So she runs into a friend from Rochester named Peter Brazowitz. Peter was a 20-year-old nightclub promoter who was also in Myrtle Beach for spring break. And he and a few friends were staying at the Blue Water Resort, which was about a mile away from Brittany's hotel. April 25th, 2009, it's 2 p.m., and Brittany's mom and sister call her to tell her about these new cleats that they just bought her, some soccer cleats. Brittany's mom, um, I'm sorry, Brittany told her mom that she was at the beach, but she didn't specify which beach, so her mom assumed that she was at a beach um, at Lake Ontario because the weather was really nice that day, like unusually warm for Rochester, and it was only about a 20-minute drive from their house. So she tells her mom she'll be home the next day. They get off the phone. She's like, I love you, mom. I'll see you later. Okay? That night, she was walking on the strip by herself, and she was getting some cat calls from some creeps passing by, and it was beginning to make her feel really uncomfortable. So she asks this guy that she just kind of runs into if he would walk with her so that she could feel safe. And this guy was harmless. He was a Midwestern guy, and he is not a suspect in this story, so have no fear. But he ends up walking her back to her hotel, and she even invites him up to her room. They chat for a little bit. There's even video footage that he took on his cell phone of her just laughing like on the hotel bed. They sat on the balcony and chatted and just hung out for a bit before he finally left for his hotel. Nothing happened like sexually between them. They really did just hang out. So later that night, Brittany is texting with her friend, Peter Brozowitz, and is making plans with him to meet up that night. She borrows a pair of black shorts from the girls that she's down there with and heads to Peter's hotel, because I guess she had left her um, flip-flops at his hotel, so she was going back to retrieve them and probably make plans with those guys. 
At around 8 p.m., she texts her boyfriend, John, to tell him that she's having a miserable time. She's not getting along with the girls that she's with. They're leaving her out of everything. She feels like they're making her feel like a loser for not doing the drugs with them, and they're just being, like, really catty towards her. So she's walking back to her hotel because one of the girls is demanding that she bring those black shorts back, even though they just told her that she could wear them. So she's like, oh my gosh, she literally is arguing with them on the phone in Peter Brozowitz's hotel room because they can hear this whole conversation, right? So she's telling John, her boyfriend, that she's angry with the people she came down with. She's super annoyed with all of them. She tells John she just can't wait to get home. He tries consoling her, but also tries to encourage her to just have a good time because it's her last night down there. And she tells him that she's probably just going to go back to the hotel and go to bed so that she can come back the next day. About an hour later, around 9 p.m., Brittany stops responding to John's texts. He starts getting really worried because they typically stayed in contact, like constant contact. So for her to just start ignoring his texts was very unlike Brittany. He tries calling her. She doesn't answer. So he texts her, threatening to tell her mom where she really is if she doesn't respond. She still doesn't respond, so he calls her mom. Dawn's initial reaction when she finds out that Brittany is in Myrtle Beach is that she's pissed because Brittany lied to her. Mm-hmm. She starts texting Brittany and calling her, and at first the calls would just ring and ring, and then eventually they started going straight to voicemail, which naturally causes Dawn to panic. She calls Rochester police, but there's nothing they can do from there. So they get a hold of a family friend in Myrtle Beach so they can go to the station down there and file a missing persons report on Brittany. And they all get into the car and head to Myrtle Beach to search for Brittany. So this is like Brittany's family, her boyfriend, John. They all head down to Myrtle Beach. So Myrtle Beach police launch a search for Brittany, going to all the local bars and hotels looking for leads. They also questioned the friends that Brittany went down there with, and they say they haven't heard from her either, had no idea where she was. One of them even suggested that maybe she just ran away. April 27th, police get a lead on that friend, Peter Brozowitz. He was the last known person to have seen Brittany that night. They find out that he and his friends left Myrtle Beach at around 2 a.m. the night Brittany went missing to go back to Rochester. 14, 15-hour drive, they're leaving at 2 a.m., They left clothes behind, didn't even bother to get the deposit back for their room. It's super sus. Yeah, why would you just take off? Yeah, so I'll touch back on this later because there's an interview that Peter Brozowitz does with Dr. Phil, and his responses are appalling, so hang in there because I'm going to get to that. But according to Peter, the night she went missing, she arrived around 8 or 8.15, but shortly after she got there, she had to leave to return those shorts. And the surveillance footage from the hotel verifies his story. It shows her arriving in the hotel lobby and leaving alone shortly after 8.48. Peter ends up getting a lawyer before he talks to police, but he was fully cooperative with them. He tells police that the reason they left abruptly... This is what confuses me. He tells the police, apparently, that the reason they, they left that night so abruptly was because the mother of his friend was pressuring him to come home. But later when he's talking to Dr. Phil, he gives a totally different answer. So just hang on to that. The police investigate his story, and it all checks out. So they rule him out as having anything to do with Brittany's disappearance. He's just acting very suspicious, though. Also, the guy who walked her to her hotel the previous night came forward to police with the cell phone video footage that he had of Brittany. 
He was fully cooperative, handed over any and all information that he could. He told them that Brittany was unhappy because she wasn't getting along with the girls that she came with. He even took a lie detector test and passed. So he was immediately cleared as a person of interest. He really just wanted to help any way he could. Police get a hold of Brittany's cell phone records, and they're able to track her whereabouts that night up to a certain point. So every time someone called her phone that night, which was over and over, because her boyfriend John is calling her, then her mom is calling her, her best friend is calling her, everyone's trying to call her, right? Every time somebody called her, her cell phone would ping at the nearest cell phone tower, giving them an idea of what her route was. At 9.27, about 30 minutes after her last text to John, she appeared to be traveling southbound on Route 17, and her phone is hitting cell towers in Surfside Beach, which is seven miles south of Myrtle Beach. So she's obviously in a vehicle at this point, unless she was separated from her phone. At 11.58, her phone pings for the last time over 50 miles south of Myrtle Beach. Holy shit at Pole Yard Boat Landing in Georgetown. Now, this is a super rural area off the beaten path, relatively unknown to anyone who isn't actually from Georgetown. The police bring their search to this area, and this area is nasty. It's very swampy with alligators, um, snakes, insects, wild boar. Like, it is a mess. It is a, you know, we watch Naked and Afraid. It's worse than anything I've seen on Naked and Afraid. Middle of nowhere. Yeah, but it's like swampy area. I mean, the insects, it's just, it's not anywhere you would want to be. So they had to ride their ATVs back and forth just to keep the alligators away so that the dogs could do their job, like the cadaver dogs or drug, or the scent-sniffing dogs. They had to keep the alligators away from their dogs. Like, think about yeah, that. Wild. That's the type of place we're in. Obviously not a place that a 17-year-old girl from Rochester would just go willingly, right? Mm-hmm. So they bring out sonar equipment to search the water. They garnered help from neighboring areas like Charleston, and they're all trying to comb the area looking for any sign of Brittany, but they find absolutely nothing. I can't imagine they stopped there. Like, that's the last place the phone was pinged, but, like, then they obviously shut it off. Right. That's That's why it was going straight to voicemail. Right. I continue south or wherever they were going. Yeah, that's just the last bit that they had that was the last place it pinged so they just thought maybe she was there but eight months go by with nothing no leads no tips no sign of any national attention for the story i don't know if it was garnering national attention at this point i know because dr phil you said that that was obviously later yeah that was two weeks after britney went missing oh okay so that was it it did pretty really fast but i just don't know that it was like immediate you know how sometimes it's pretty immediate Mm -hmm. but um yeah so where's the friends that they went with and all that? Nowhere. They're not contacting. They're not contacting. Did they get Brittany's interviewed by the police? They were interviewed by police, but they didn't offer to help look for Brittany, hand out flyers, literally nothing. They didn't even reach out to Brittany's family to say like, "Hey, I'm sorry for about what happened. I'm thinking of you guys." Were they literally on Doctor Phil? Radio silence. Only Peter was on Doctor Phil. But I'll get to that point. Let's not jump ahead. So. Eight months go by. I'm going to come back to that. Dr. Okay, because I'm like, well, don't not jump ahead. Look yeah, at eight no, months. I'm going to come back to okay. it. Eight months go by when they finally get a tip to search an area near the Santee River just north of Georgetown where they searched previously. They got a tip? 
Well, yeah, because a couple was watch was walking on a trail, kind of, and found a pair of sunglasses that investigators thought could be Britney's, but unfortunately, no DNA was found on those glasses. So that was the last lead they got as far as like where Britney might be. But other than that, they had, they just had nothing. So about that Dr. Phil interview, two weeks after Britney went missing, her parents, Don and Chad go on Dr. Phil to share their story. Peter Brozowitz also joins them with his attorney right by his side. When Dr. Phil is interviewing Peter, he appears to be very agitated and maybe it's because he truly had nothing to do with Britney's disappearance and he doesn't feel like, or maybe he feels like he's getting singled out within his friend group, or maybe it's because he's this arrogant, guido-looking Jersey Shore guy with an oversized white collar that's open really wide at his collarbone and this like rock-hard gelled hair. Maybe it's his personality. The world may never know. But when Dr. Phil asks him why he and his friends left at 2 a.m. that morning, he says nothing about his friend's mom urging them to come home. So I don't know how true that story is. He simply explains to Dr. Phil, quote, yeah, well, I'm from New York, Rochester. It's a 14, 15-hour drive. We were there for a whole week. Our checkout time was in the morning, Sunday morning. So we decided to leave at 2 o'clock because why would you want to leave Sunday in the middle of the day when it's a tourist town? That's his explanation. Which, uh, here's the deal. I mean, aside from the fact that he sounds like he's like the situation. Yeah. I, uh, I I think the more suspicious thing about him leaving is they said they left the deposit and left all their clothes behind. That's the weird part. Here's the deal. I know people, and I'm friends with people who like, I know I know people who have been somewhere, and the conversation goes like this. Oh, I don't want to get home, like your 12-hour drive, say, whatever. I don't want to get home super late. Let's leave early in the morning. Let's leave at 7. Screw it. Let's leave at 6. Let's leave at 5. It's 2 a.m. You're having this conversation. You go, let's leave right now. And you get in the car and you leave. Like, that's a realistic, just like okay, funny scenario. But leaving your clothes behind and leaving the deposit is what's weird oh, to okay. me. Yeah. To me. Like, to me, leaving at 2 is not that weird. Because see, it's like really weird to me. As a bunch of guys, I can just see a bunch of guys having the exact conversation I just had, mm-hmm. and you're all hopped up on Mountain Dew, <laughs> and you say, "Let's leave right now." Yeah. Okay, cool, because we'll be home at two. But like, to leave all your shit behind is the weird part. Yeah, they left a lot behind, and when Doctor Phil tries to make sense of this statement. Peter says, quote, we were planning on leaving at 5 or 6 a.m. We already pre-packed that night before we went out to a party, end quote. But pre-packed, but you left a ton of shit behind, including your deposit. It, it just doesn't Did they get asked about the leaving the stuff behind? No, not on this not See, on that's this that to me is like the most important part. Yeah. Because as a guy and you're just spur of the moment and you... Like they left some clothes. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. The leaving stuff behind is the weird part. Yeah, because it, it makes it look like they left in a hurry. Like right. They were in that a rush that to makes it, yeah, I agree with that. But if everything else, if they would have brought everything and got their deposit and stuff, I would have no, no angst about it. Right. So then Dawn, Brittany's mom, has a chance to confront Peter. And she states that she contacted Peter after Brittany went missing and that his story kept changing and wasn't making sense. And that's what really upset her. And then she says, quote, any kind of friend, I don't care if you're a guy or a girl, if you knew that Brittany was walking that far from one hotel to another, if you were a gentleman, why wouldn't you walk my daughter to her hotel or drive her there, knowing it was dark out, end quote. 
And just so you know, I don't think I mentioned this, but there were um, cameras on like some crosswalks, right? And so it showed Brittany crossing it on the way to the hotel. And then it didn't show her crossing it on the way back. So like it's, we saw her leaving the hotel, but then we didn't see her cross that crosswalk. So like there was some point right there when she was picked up. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Peter responds clearly annoyed. And he said, okay, first of all, I did talk to Brittany about why she was walking the strip by herself. And earlier that day, she said over the last three nights, I walked the strip by myself. It doesn't bother me. I'm fine. And I didn't even walk the strip by myself because it's pretty bad down there. End oh, quote. my God. That's what Peter said. He goes on to say, quote, second of all, when she left her hotel, the sun was still up and I offered her a ride and she said, oh, no, it's OK. And she acted like there was no worry at all for her to walk all the way back again. So I'm going to link this interview in the sources, of course, because it is actually infuriating to watch. But if you just look look up um, Brittany Drexel, Dr. Phil, uh, you'll find it. It's part three. Polly like D comes up. Yeah. So Dr. Phil and Brittany's parents are asking Peter pretty simple and obvious questions about what happened that night and why he made some of the choices he made. And Peter is like cracking his knuckles. He cl- he's clenching his fist. Like you can clearly tell he's getting really angry at the implications against him. And when Brittany's dad asks him why he didn't just man up and take Brittany back to her hotel, especially knowing that she had an argument with Jen over the shorts, Peter admitted himself that it was dangerous on the strip. Peter's response was, quote, okay, first of all, I'm on spring break. I'm not there to babysit anybody, end quote. It's a pretty sensitive situation to be talking like that. She's been gone for two weeks, and you're talking about the situation like that, like... Wow, what a douche. Mm -hmm. Just what a douche. If that was my kid, I would be so embarrassed and disappointed. So to this day, the girls that Brittany traveled with have not spoken with the Drexel family or offered to help whatsoever. The friends Peter was with that night haven't offered their help either. Peter didn't help when it came to like handing out flyers or anything like that. Like none of them have been any help. It's just crazy to me that all of these people can be in such a serious situation and treat it so lightly. Like someone lost their cell phone. Like there's a human person missing and they're all just like, eh, whatever. Ain't my problem. That's That's crazy to me. Yeah, no, that's weird. So fast forward to June of 2016, the FBI held a press conference where they announced that they believed Brittany was no longer alive. Investigators said that they believe she was held against her will for several days in Georgetown, about 60 miles south of Myrtle Beach, where her phone last pinged. This was all based on a statement from an inmate in prison who claimed he was present when Brittany was killed. Taquan Brown told investigators that he went to a stash house in Georgetown um, in like the McClellanville area days after Brittany was abducted. And according to the article from Post and Courier, as he entered the house with a couple of other men, he saw Timothy Deshaun Taylor, who was then 16, sexually abusing Brittany Drexel. And he spotted others also in the room and the girl or I'm sorry, with the girl and Deshaun Taylor. And he kept walking through the house to the backyard to give some money to Deshaun Taylor's father, Sean Taylor. So we have Sean Taylor, the dad, Deshaun Taylor, the son. 
I'm not here to judge on names. It's just whatever. But that is all the account from a man named Taquan Brown who was in prison. Okay? It gets kind of confusing. When did that come out? That all came out in June of 2016. Which is how many years later? Uh, seven. So that dude just held on to that information for seven years? Yeah, and he went ahead and came out with that information while he was an, an inmate in prison. So it goes on to say that as the two talked, Brittany tried to escape from the stash house before she was pistol whipped and taken back inside the house. Then apparently two shots could be heard from what they assumed or saw, whatever, it was a double barrel shotgun within the house and her body was wrapped up and taken to a gator pit to be eaten by the gators. That's according to him. Holy crap. So here's the thing. It's not uncommon for prison inmates to come up with false accusations in an attempt to reduce their own time or get revenge on someone that they don't like. But after this information came out, a few people came forward to corroborate those claims. So in an unusual attempt to get information out of Deshaun, the 16, who he was 16 at the time, apparently. But now, in 2016, he would have been, what? What's math? 23? So anyway, he was, at this point, he was charged with parallel charges in a case that he had already served time for. So I know you may be thinking, this is double jeopardy, but let me explain. What is, hold on, slow down. What is parallel charges that he's already... He was being charged for uh, one crime twice, which is technically, if you say it simply like that, it's double jeopardy, but I'm going to explain why this was allowed to happen. So in 2011, Deshaun was the getaway driver when two of his buddies robbed a Mount Pleasant McDonald's restaurant, and one of the robbers shot the store manager, but luckily the store manager survived. So Deshaun confessed and cooperated with authorities, and ultimately he was sentenced to probation, and he completed that probation a long time ago, but here's the thing. Those charges were brought against him from the state, but now, likely in an effort to get information out of him about the Brittany Drexel case, he's facing federal charges, and under federal law, prosecutors have the authority to bring parallel charges when federal laws are violated along with the state. So these are two separate entities. Mm -hmm. It's basically kind of a loophole. And more recently, I think it was in 2019, this, uh, this case, not this particular case, but the idea of this being double jeopardy went in front of the Supreme Court of the United States and they ruled that this is still fair. Like, they ruled Probably that so they could use it like stuff like this. Maybe, yeah. So typically this sort of thing is done when someone gets off a little too easy on a state charge and maybe the government felt like he deserved to serve more time for that 2011 robbery. But it seems a little more likely that now that this tip came out, they're just trying to force information out of him. Because if they really thought the probation was too light of a sentence, they could have come for him a lot sooner, not just after that tip came out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, his lawyers are arguing that this is like a, quote, squeeze job, end quote, because it really doesn't pertain to the robbery. They're really trying to just get information about Brittany Drexel. In March of 2018, nine months after this stash house story, Timothy Taylor agreed to take a polygraph test, which he failed. And during the polygraph test, Taylor was asked questions including, quote, do you know for sure who was involved in the disappearance of Brittany Drexel? 
And did you ever see Brittany Drexel in person? And court documents show that Taylor answered no to both of those questions, but the FBI agent told him that he was being deceptive. So where we're at now is literally right right there. That, that's where it ends. We still have no idea where Brittany Drexel truly is. We have a good idea that she probably has died. We know that she was probably a victim of human sex trafficking, um, but that is about it. The, the stash house that this all allegedly happened mysteriously burned down, so there's no way to go there and get evidence of, you know, th- to corroborate his story, mm-hmm. and that's where we're at. Man, that's a wild one. So this is still technically an unsolved case, and Brittany Drexel to this day has never been found. That's crazy. a super sad, like, just dead-end story. I know. It really is frustrating when when stories like this just abruptly end. Um, but I think it's a good reminder for teenagers especially. God, I mean, I was so stupid when I was a teenager. I was... Mm-hmm. Me too. One The night I snuck out that I was referring to earlier, I snuck out and got into a car with my friend Abby... And I didn't know who the guy was that was driving. We got pulled over going like 105 miles per hour on the freeway. No way. And the police took us to the police station. And I didn't have any like tickets or anything against me. My parents had to come pick me up from the police station though. And my mom slept in my bed that night because she was like, you're like, you've lost all your freedom. But I mean, God, I was so stupid. Mm -hmm. And to think that like Brittany Drexel lied to her mom about where she was going not an uncommon thing, right? It's not uncommon for girls or kids, I shouldn't say girls, for just teenagers to lie about what they're really doing. You know, there's a meme that's really popular and it's like, oh, the smell of a cornfield reminds me of when I almost died from alcohol poisoning at a field party or mm-hmm. something like that, you know? And everybody shares it and they're like, haha, so relatable. But they like, all tag their friends with a date. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, Man, if your parents, I mean, maybe your parents did know, but if my parents knew, oh my gosh, they would have been really disappointed. And it, like, now that I'm a mom, I just view that all so differently because I just imagine, like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I just think about a kid getting taken and how horrible that would right. be. Right. I mean, yeah, that's what it all boils down to is just you're getting into trouble. You know, like you're risking your life to whether it's alcohol poisoning, driving drunk, or whatever. Just be honest with your parents because, and parents, don't be so judgmental with your kids. Have an open, honest line of communication. Kids are going to do things that maybe you don't disagree with. They're going to make mistakes, whatever. But I would rather my kid feel comfortable enough to be honest with me about it so that I don't have to find out later that they're missing or later that they dr- drank and drop drank and drove. Why is that so hard to say? And I don't know. I feel like this is just a good lesson to, um, to kids going on spring break, trying to lie to their parents or parents even, you know, trying to keep better track of their kids. Like, I don't know. There's nothing Dawn could have done any differently. She really thought that she was doing all the right things by talking to her friend's mom and trying to keep her home because things weren't going so well. Like she tried so hard to take care of her daughter. And it still happened. And it still happened. Yeah. That's a sad deal. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's all we have for today's episode. We will be back on Friday with another true crime episode. If you have any recommendations, shoot me a message on Instagram. And uh, our Instagram page is mama.mystery, M-A-M-A dot mystery. Share Mama Mystery with a friend. Mama Mystery out. Bye.